greetings to each one in Christ's name this morning. It's been good to be here and uh, just want to also welcome everyone here. Special welcome to our visitors and um, Zimmermans. Good to have you here. Appreciated sharing this morning, Brother John, and the, the um, Sunday school. This morning, I, uh, I, I stand before you, I'm not sure just what all my feelings are, but I, I guess I would like to say I am awed by how God can lead and God can work through mere humans and... Um, When I opened my Bible to the devotional passage this morning, it was the same spot I had my notes. Um, same chapter. And uh, I'm not going to stand here and try to say I'm going to say anything different or better or anything than Brother Weston. I appreciate what you had to share, Brother Weston. But we're just going to share what the Lord has given to me. Um, I don't know, it may not come out exactly as you expect for a council message, but um, here uh, a couple weeks ago I had preached from Ephesians 1 and um, just felt inspired to, to go on, um, at least in the second chapter here of Ephesians. And so we want to look here, we want to see what uh, the blessing, the gift of what God has done for us as his people. And also just another thing, as Brother John was sharing, just fellowship there and um, can't even say specifically how it was used there. We have seen, I think, he picked out that pronoun we. And as we go down through this passage here, we're going to see pronouns that are plural pronouns and I guess I just like to bring out like I did the other week looking at this through the lens of of the church being the body being together being one and we're going to see that coming through here as uh, especially in some of the verses that brother Weston shared so, yes, I'll just invite you to, uh, to turn there, if you have not already, Ephesians chapter 2. And we're going to take this in segments and go, we'll see how time permits, at least most of the way through the chapter. So, again, I'm just going to uh, draw your attention to, and I probably won't be necessarily picking them out um, as we go through and, and saying anything about them, I may, I'm not sure. But uh, pronouns like you, now you is a singular pronoun or a plural pronoun, but in this case, it's referring to you. I can point to one person and I can say, I'm talking to you, but I can also look at everyone here and talk to all of you. Um, he also uses ye, which is very similar to you, us, which is plural, we, which is plural, and uh, 
our, which is plural, and then uh, gets into something uh, interesting there. Um, not necessarily pronouns, but kind of bringing plural and singular together. And um, that'll see some clarity in that as we look at that later then. So beginning here in the first three verses, Ephesians chapter 2. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. So in these first three verses here, we get a bleak picture. And we can all look to any of us that have a little bit of age to us. We can look to that past and, and remember that bleak picture of where we were. There is a phrase in here in verse 1, and uh, just... To be honest with you, I, um, I think I was first made aware that when we see italics in the King James Version, it means that this was not translated from the Greek. It was um, supplied by the translators for clarity, um, maybe to make it flow a little bit. I'm not sure all the reasons. But there in verse 1, we see the phrase, Hath he quickened, and you hath he quickened. And I think as we get down in the passage, in, in some of the next verses we look at, we're going to understand um, why the translators put that in there. Um, it uses that phrase again in verse 5, or at least part of it, hath quickened us. But if we drop that phrase for the moment here, and we simply we skip the italicized words, it gives maybe a little more strength, saying, And you who were dead in trespasses and sins. That's speaking to the past experience of all believers. Dead in trespasses and sins. Bleak. Lonely. Cold. He says in verse 2 that ye walked according to the course of this world. That course there uh, would be the age, or we understand it as maybe the system of this world. In time past ye walked according to the system of this world, or the way of the world. As the world, the ungodly, walked and lived. And I think it would be fair enough to say that that is a system of self, the system that involves the self-life. says, Ye walked according to the prince of the power of the air. I'm not sure I have a full understanding of that phrase, that term there. That is a term used for the devil, 
But I believe it looks at the spiritual influences of the devil here on the past life. And also the, the unseen battle that is happening for the souls of mankind to keep the souls of the ungodly. Um, says about that's the spirit that works in the children of disobedience. But also that battle that the devil would want to regain the souls of the believers, of God's children. Verse 3 identifies that all have been in that condition, the condition of, of lostness, the condition of dead to God, dead within our sins, our trespasses, our failures, our missing the mark. It says, we had our conversation, or that was our life, that was how we lived, that was how we conducted our lives. Our conversation, fulfilling, uh, okay, conversation in time past, in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And that's where it was. As we followed Satan, as we lived according to his influences on our lives, living for self, we're by nature the children of wrath. We were in a sinful condition that deserved the wrath of God to come upon us. And God's wrath would have been our end, but takes us into verse 4. Praise God. Let's read verses 4 through 10. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Maybe we could say here that we have the answer to the quickened us in verse, verse 1 that was supplied there by the translators. You hath he quickened. He starts out here in verse 4, two words, but God. But God signifies something different coming. The word but is a conjunction. It joins two things. I have here that, but it joins a most tremendous contrast. Or we could say maybe almost that it separates instead of joins. God, 
the contrast here is from the first set of verses there, one through three, the terror of men's souls, the devil there in verse three, to God who is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy, a compassionate, rich in compassion is our God. Talks about his great love, his tremendous love in that he loved us. God's design was never to leave man in that sinful verses 1 through 3 condition. In verse 5, we read there about how he, we were dead in trespasses and sins, and he hath quickened us. God's mercy and love that we read about in verse 4 motivated him to do something about our lost condition. It motivated him to bring life to us who were dead in sins. That's where we were. We were dead. But God has quickened us. He has made us alive or resurrected us spiritually. I think of being dead in trespasses and sins. I, I just had to think of the example here. Being dead. Um, our neighbor raises uh, calves, um, steers, uh, from the bottle. And at times, we see his skid loader go past uh, the, in the field by our place there. And there's a dead calf in the bucket. That calf is dead. Um, you can kick that calf. You could hit it on the head or give it a shot. And there's no life coming back to that calf. It's dead. It's gone. Done. As I think of that, we were dead in our sins. We were dead to God. There wasn't life between us and God. But God breathed into our despicable souls, our sin-laden souls, and brought life. I say, what a marvel. What a marvel, brothers and sisters, to be taken from that dead condition and to be given life. And then not only just simply given life, he says in verse verse 6 there, quickened us together with Christ. There's significance there as we compare Christ's resurrection with our being made alive. We also are resurrected to newness of life with Christ. Verse 6 says that he has raised us up. He has made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Today, as new creatures in Christ, we experience the blessings of the heavenlies. And um, I didn't exactly look, up, look at the context. I didn't look it up for the context there in James. 
but it talks about seeing through a glass darkly. And today, as, as I said there, we experience the blessings of the heavenlies, though we do see through a glass darkly. Someday, it's going to be face to face that we will experience the blessings of the heavenlies in greater ways as we are there with Christ and with God the Father. And then in verse 7, he talks about the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. Today we are experiencing that grace. That grace that uh, the writer here, Paul, was, was speaking of to come. I believe we'll continue experiencing that grace. And uh, throughout eternity, the grace of God, we will see it um, even more real. And that is the grace whereby we are saved. Verse 8, For by grace are ye saved through faith. Grace we could define as the unmerited favor of God. Or maybe we've heard the definition, the power of God to do God's will. Grace, a spiritually dead person comes with no merits to bring to God. We have nothing, the good works, nothing. To bring to God. But by reaching out to God, he becomes a new creature in Christ. Verse 9 says that it is not of works. And then verse 10, for we are his workmanship. The workmanship. We are the work that God is doing. There is a work within us. He is making something useful But it says we are created unto good works. We as, as God's people, as his workmanship, are a work in progress. We look at salvation. Salvation is a, is a, past, it, it is a past thing in the life of a believer, but it is not only past. There was that coming to Christ for salvation, for his grace. But there is the continued sanctification that Christ is doing in our lives, continuing his workmanship, continuing to mold us into his divine image, into what he wants us to be. But the finality, the finishing of our salvation is yet to come. And that will come when we step into glory, into the presence of of our Savior, into the presence of Almighty God. Salvation brings us back into the plan that God had of relationship with mankind. And we could go back to Genesis, God creating man and his, his fellowship that he had with Adam and Eve there in the garden, which was broken by sin. Salvation brings us back into relationship. His original plan. And consequently, as we come back into that part of the plan, 
we also come back into that plan of good works that is part of that plan. When we accept the gift of Christ's salvation, his plan of salvation, we embrace the whole package of his plan. Saved by grace, created unto good works. I had down here, is my faith motivating me? And then I changed that. Let's get that plural. Is our faith motivating us? I trust it is. And that God is continuing to work in us and continuing to work through us for his purposes. Now I'd like to read verses 11 through 18. Wherefore remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made, with, made by hands, and that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope, and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace, who hath made both one, and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace, and that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them which were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. And verse 19, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow, fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. There's maybe quite a bit I don't understand about the, the Old Testament and the Jews, the Gentiles, the relationship, the lack of relationship. And I appreciated what um, Brother Weston had to share there. Was it Brother John? I forget which one of you was sharing there. And we understand that God had called out um, Abraham and, and the patriarchs and called them to be a special people for his purposes. And we understand the way that the Jews looked on the Gentiles, how they looked down on them and, and did not have a very high estimation of them. says in verse 11 that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh. And really that's what we would be. We are, by race, uh, we are not Jews. And as we take that to a spiritual level, that's where we were. We were not a people of God.
verse 12. In time past, ye were without Christ, being aliens. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Strangers, without God. Hopeless. And uh, we can see some of that Jew-Gentile contention, segregation, uh, maybe coming through here in, in their understanding. Verse 13. Ye, or we, were far from God. But it starts out there, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Now brought near to God, now brought into the family of God by the blood of Christ at the expense of Christ's blood. And then verse 14 says that he is our peace who hath made both one, hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Looking here, I believe first of all at peace with God, who is perfectly just, which is a huge statement. God, perfectly just, and we as man have come to him with all of our faults and our deadness to him. Now we have peace with God. I mentioned about a plural and a singular coming together. Who hath made both one. Both is plural. One is singular. Speaking here of, of peace with mankind. And specifically here, um, looking at peace between the Jews and the Gentiles in Christ. He talks about the uh, ceremonial law, the law of commandments in verse 15. And verse 16, the word reconcile, reconciliation in Christ. Brothers and sisters, race does not matter. In Jesus, that Jew and Gentile wall of separation we heard about has no place. And whether he's talking specifically here of, of a wall in the temple that the Jews were not allowed beyond or, um, or more of a uh, simply a wall, an unseen wall uh, built up between the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. Um, no place for walls between race or between one another. Verse 16 talks about reconciliation. He might reconcile both unto God through Jesus Christ. Reconciliation is a very real part of salvation. As I think of this reconciliation and as I think of peace with, as he's talking about it here, looks a lot um, as, as peace with man, but I also see peace with God here. I, I think of our reconciliation with God and man and peace as kind of like a triangle with God at the top and 
You can put yourself in the other corner and fellow man in the other corner. And no matter which way you go around the triangle, each one touches. Um, and I, I was thinking about it. I didn't bring it this morning, but um, I was thinking about how you take a, a tortilla chip and they're triangle shaped. And if you would um, take one, one the top corner to represent God and another corner to represent yourself and another corner to represent your fellow men, you know, tortilla trips, chips break. You can break a corner off. And that severs both relationships. And I believe that's so true. That's uh, maybe, maybe a, a comparison that would break down because, you know, a tortilla chip, you break it and it's done. But that's not the way it is for us that triangle can be restored and made new again. Praise God. Verse 17 talks about, uh, I think I was looking at, thinking of verse 18, but 17, preaching peace to you which were far off. And that peace comes through the Holy Spirit in verse 16. He is the one that brings and works that peace between one another and God. The last part of the chapter there, um, I think we're just going to leave that for this morning. Um, something that would be worthy of spending a fair amount of time on. Um, as it looks, I just uh, mentioned there, it looks, and Brother Weston talked about that this morning too, but uh, the, the church as a building built upon the foundation of Christ and the apostles, Jesus being the chief cornerstone. This morning, communion, as we think of communion coming up, it is about Christ's sacrifice on the cross. What Christ has done for us in bringing us out of that dead, that lost condition that we were in, by coming in his grace and reaching down to mankind, not in our merits, but in, in his grace, reaching to us and restoring that relationship with him. In that sacrifice, we have been made nigh unto Christ. Are we continuing in the grace of God by which we have been saved? Communion reflects a closeness together in Christ. Verse 11 here in Ephesians 2 says, Wherefore, Remember. And I think it does us some good at times to remember. To look on where we were. To look on who we were without Christ. To look 
not, not to stay there and to dwell on the past. Uh, that gets us down. But rather to look at direction. Where have we been? Where are we going? Are we continuing in the grace of Christ? This morning as we consider our lives, as we consider our standing with God, where are we in our, our standing with God in his grace through Christ? Also, may we consider our standing in the church, the body of Christ. And we didn't get into the last part, but considering our foundation. Is our foundation Christ? Are we standing on Christ and what he's done for us in his word and in, in his gift of salvation to us? This morning, I just want to challenge that we take time, that we consider where we are at in life. And um, just thinking of, of counsel coming up Wednesday evening, consider our peace with God, our peace with man, and our desire for the fellowship of communion. So I want to just wish God's blessing on each one of us as we do that. And to, in the next couple weeks, to have an anticipation, to look forward to coming and partaking of the emblems that signify the blood and the body of Christ and that signify our, our gift of salvation in Christ. Let's kneel together.